do, we're going to say some words today that are quite powerful if we let them be. This first bit of the song that we're going to sing says for us to let praises rise from the inside. And I, that's super important to me this morning and, to, and always, but this morning because I'm having a morning. I don't know if you've ever had a morning, you woke up and just something wasn't
still being loosed. God, we believe it. And yes, we can see it because wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slain.
crying out for some future event we're not asking simply for some future blessing we are praising you for what is presently in this house the presence of a king the king of kings and lord of lords the master healer the provider the one who is peace itself the one who can break chains and shatter addiction we are in the presence of the almighty this is come on church stir it up in your heart this is a move. This is a move. This is a move. This is a move. Faith says it is so, even when it's not so, so that it will be so. Faith. Jesus, today we stand in faith. We stand in faith that you are not just the healer of the sick 2,000 years ago. You are healer of the sick in 2022. You just don't touch the blind and the deaf and the lame and the crippled 2,000 years ago, but the same you who walked then is the same you who's in the room today. We believe that you are the same God that would not let the oil run out on the widow, Lord God who spoke and the rock gave water, who sent daily manna down from heaven. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are the provider. And there's not one thing that we lack that you don't have the authority to provide. Daddy, today, we know that you're the mighty warrior dressed for battle. There's not one enemy stronger than you. So we denounce the lies of the enemy. We denounce the lies of depression. Yes. We denounce the lies of addiction. Yes. We denounce the lies of hidden secret sin in the name of Jesus. You are the mighty warrior, dressed for battle, who has never lost. You've never lost and you never will. And if you did it before, you'll do it again. Yes, if you God. did it for the children coming out of Egypt, you'll do it for us. If you did it for Peter and for Paul and for John and for Matthew and for Luke, you'll yes, do it God. for Mary and Susie and Kenny and Kevin in this room. Well, you'll do it here. Because your word says you're not a respecter of person. So come have a move today, God. Not a church service. Have a move. Not a good time, a move. 
Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Set folk free. Help us to praise you with everything we've got. Shatter limitations. Restrictions. Bondages in the name of Jesus. So we're going to praise you in advance. Because your word says, let everything that has breath, and we walked in here with breath today, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Not praise the Lord after they get the breakthrough, after we get the reward, after we get the healing. It simply says, let everything that has breath. So come on, church, let's just praise Him today. Father, we praise you, Jesus, you're worthy. Praise the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. You are worthy, 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 worthy of praise. Holy is your name, Jesus. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo! Hey, church, how you doing this morning? I am so glad you are in this place today because, man, as Margot said, as we've been singing, it's not just the bodies that are here. There's a presence here. And it happens when God's people get together. There's something powerful. You didn't just walk into a beautiful church layout. You walked into the presence of a beautiful God. His presence is here. That means there's nothing that's impossible. Here's what I know. I know that there's times that I know that theologically, but practically a lot of times in my life I talk myself out of it. Because sometimes my reality or my view of my reality does not line up with my theology. But this is what I know. My God is real. Heaven and the kingdom is reality. My perception of my life is my illusion. So this is just a moment of getting my, come on, surrendering my illusion to his truth. He said it, that settles it. I know we have that, Dee and I talk about it all the time, I know we don't have bumper stickers anymore. Anybody else surprised when you see a bumper sticker? Like when you, you know someone's old school or the car is recycled, come on, when there's a bumper sticker. But there used to be a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's wrong. God said it, that settles it. Whether we believe it or not matters to our life. God said, it's not up to you. It's not like, well, I agree with you, God, so now it's true. It's true whether you agree with it or not. Making it a reality in our life takes us agreeing with it. Where two touch something in agreement, my father does it. So I don't know how you walked in today. I love Margo's transparency. She said, I'm having a day. I'm having a day. Some of us have had a week. Some of us have had a month. Some of us have had a couple years. But that's the illusion. The reality is he is my joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. He is my breakthrough. He is my peace. He, he is the keeper of my soul. He, he is the great reward. He is the master of whatever you're going through. So let that rest in your soul today. Let it rest in your soul. It's actually really important that we come together because when we hear someone next to us, because when we're at home sometimes just listening, which I applaud, can we just give a shout out to everybody who's online this morning? Good morning. We love you. We're so excited that you're here today joining in with us. And we know for so many reasons people are on vacation or sick or whatever, they can't be here. And that's the beauty of the online campus. But, but when you're together and you think you're the only one going through it, you can get depressed. But when you get in a room like this and other people are like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, you're like, oh, I'm not alone. And then you start to hear other people start to believe in God for something. Then you go, oh, I'm not alone. 
oh, it's just not me fighting the battle. I've got some brothers and sisters to the right and left of me. I've got others who are standing on the wall with me. It's It's important. Church attendance isn't important because it's church attendance. Being together is important because it stirs something up inside of us. Stirs. I get excited to be in the house of God. That's why David says better is one day in the house of God than a thousand outside of it. Woo! So thank you for coming today to be stirred up and helping stir up others. Look, if you're a guest today, thank you for coming and being our guest. Welcome to Connect Church. It's great to have you. It really, really is. We want to try to get to know each other as best that we can. So before you're, as you're being seated, just say hi to somebody. If you don't feel comfortable giving them a high five, give them an air high five, fist pump. We know, look, just say hi to somebody. Oh, this is a move, Margo. Come on, that's so good. Mmm. I'm believing that that song today is a prophetic voice to somebody in this room. That you've been going through what you've been going through, and the enemy has started to tell you that this is the way it always will be. I just want you to know in my spirit today that God is saying that that song was not just a worship song, it was a prophetic proclamation over you. There is a move. I don't have to see it. Look, how many of you know you can't see the wind? I can't see the wind, but I can see the effect of the wind. I don't have to, I don't have to see the wind to believe that there is wind. I know that there's wind, and every time I know that there's wind, I can see the effect of it. All I know is that God's word is true. I may not see it yet, but when I believe it, I will see the effect of it. Let that be a prophetic word for somebody in this house today. Before we hop into the word today, because I'm excited to bring the word today, I hope you're excited to hear it, Um, I want to just give a shout out to yesterday, we had another Thy Kingdom Crumb food truck run, was fantastic, Uh, we were in a a local local parking lot over by the Walmart down the road away, and, uh, and not only did we give away phenomenal amounts of food, which I'm so thankful for, and thank you for continuing to support that, um, but we saw 18 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. 18 of your neighbors, 18, of pe- 18 people in community make decisions for Jesus, and maybe you're here today from that truck run. Welcome. Welcome to Connect. This is what we're all about. Like, the food is awesome, but it's not really about the food. It's really about Jesus. Just like church, these seats are awesome, but this church is about Jesus. Uh, you just saw up on the screen that we have a 5K uh, uh, Thy Kingdom of Crown run coming up in October. I want to really encourage you. You don't have to run it. You can walk it. You can take your kids out with it. Man, talk to your neighbors. Talk to your friends. Bring it into your workplace. Every time that someone uh, is a part of something like this, that we, there's t-shirts that will be given away. The truck will be there. There's food. We have all sorts of fun stuff. But it really helps us. The more resource we have coming in, the more we can do going out. And so it's not, we can't just, we can't, we can't just pull from this house. We actually have, the, the Bible says that the, the wealth of the world is stored up for the, for the righteous. That there, there's, there, there is money to be able to do breakthrough for people's lives. So that's a great way to participate. If you can't show up at 
food truck runs or cut vegetables or something else with TKC, you can always come and be a part of that. Well, are you guys ready for the word? Why don't you, since you brought your Bible, open up with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles is the 13th book of the Old Testament. And what it is, it's, it's chronicling the journey of God building his kingdom in the promised land. It's, it's the story of how God is building his kingdom. And can I tell you, it's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives as he builds what he is desiring to build in our life with him. And if you need a, a title for today's message, it's simply, Over My Dead Body. Over my, have you ever said those words like, Over My Dead Body? And, 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 and when you said that, I'm not just saying like when you said them when you're kidding around or, or when, when it's not a big deal. When, when you really meant them, when you really meant them, what, did you be like, it, was it over something small or something that mattered? Like when I have said those things, when I've really meant those things, uh, uh, it's come out of my conviction that I'm convicted about something, that I'm willing to stand in something, that something really matters to me. Because I'm like, no, 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 over my dead body, that ain't happening. I ain't going down that road. No, no. And I started to ponder that thought the other day when it comes to our spiritual lives. When it comes to our spiritual journey, our walk with Jesus, what would we say those words about? Over my dead body. Because the truth is, what we are willing to fight for reveals what we value the most. Who we are willing to fight for and what we are willing to fight for reveals what we really value the most. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in the parking lot of, um, of, a, of, of a grocery store, and there were two people arguing, literally out of their cars, arguing over a parking spot. Right? Has anyone seen that? Like, it's crazy. They were arguing, fighting over a parking spot. And I was like... I was like, all right, not my parking spot. I don't care. I don't know these people. I'm not getting involved. But don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. If, if someone got out of the car and came after my wife or came after my son that way, come on, it's on. Why? Because they were attacking who I love. They were attacking what I loved. So what we are willing to fight for really values who and what we love. And when we are silent on something, it also reveals what isn't valuable to me. When we don't speak up for social justice, it's not really that valuable to me. Maybe it just doesn't really affect me, although it affects others. Well, when we, when we don't share the gospel, well, man, it doesn't really affect me, I'm going to heaven. When we're willing to bend the rules to make the deal, maybe holiness really isn't that valuable to me. For me, I know when I'm willing to be a people pleaser, it's saying that health and wholeness and me really loving that person really isn't that valuable to me. What we are willing to fight for reveals what we value the most. But how does this play out in our real lives, especially when what we're meant to fight for, the thing we're meant to fight for the most is to love the Lord your God with everything inside of you. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. love your Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. See, this is the battle that goes on every day. 
This is the battle that we face in our real life at every turn, in every way. In a real way as parents, as kids, as co-workers, as gym members, as shoppers, as employers. We are faced with this constant decision of really what is worth saying over my dead body for. In this text that we're going to look at today, we looked at it from a different perspective at the end of last sermon last week a little bit differently, so we're going to look at it a little bit differently this week. But King David and his warriors find themselves in a position where they need to decide what, if what they're standing in and what they're standing for is really worth fighting over. Is it really worth the battle? As the enemy comes rushing in, they need to make a decision, just like we do all the time in these moments of conflict in our daily life. Is this worth saying over my dead body? Or am I willing to trip over the dead bodies as I run away? Because in this moment, what ends up happening is, I hope today we can fully understand, when I'm talking about these moments of decision, I'm not talking about what the enemy is simply doing to you and I. We have to recognize that the one being attacked in these moments is the king. The one, the spot that is actually being attacked that you're standing in is actually the kingdom. And so when we stand or don't stand, we are actually saying to the king and about the king, we either value him or not so much. Maybe we can be encouraged by these verses as we face these decisions daily. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Chronicles 11, verse 12, he says, Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dode, the Aohite, one of the three mighty warriors. He was with David, you can underline that, with David at Pastamim when the Philistines gathered there for battle at a place where there was a field full of barley. The troops fled from the Philistines, but they, but they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. I love first that Eleazar was saying, man, I don't care who goes with me and who doesn't. My conviction is not built on consensus. Somebody in America say amen. My conviction is not built on, con uh, on consensus. It's over my dead body that I'm going to let the enemy take one thing away from my king. Not one thing. See, when we stand on the battlefield of decision, this is often where we wrestle with who Jesus is really going to be in our life and who are we really going to be in his. This is the battlefield that we stand on. It's not a battlefield of barley or wheat. It's the battlefield of decision. And this is where we wrestle. This is where the wrestling goes between things we've been talking about for a while now, the difference between a disciple and a believer. Someone who just is happy, kind of knowing that they're saved and going to go to heaven. And someone who is saying, but Jesus called me to follow him, to stand with him, to be a voice for him, to, st to stand in his truth, to be on the front line. A disciple. And that's where the challenge is in our modern Christian world. Because the challenge in our modern Christian world is that belie believers tend to value what they stand in, where disciples value who they stand with. And this is where we can so easily get tripped up kind of in our modern world because it's so easy in Christianity, especially today, in the way that we've presented message 
the way that grace, and it's so beautiful that grace is, but the, the, the way that we can uh, receive that message is about how blessed we are. Man, how blessed we are, how blessed we should be, all the things God wants to give us, how we should be prospering, and God wants to prosper us. And, and look, that's awesome. But the danger is that this mentality teaches us, teaches us to focus on what we're standing in or think we should be standing in. And it's reinforced when we are taught constantly to focus our lives on believing for something rather than believing in someone. It's what I hear all the time. Yeah, but what are you believing for? What do you believe? Just believe for it. Just believe for it. Just believe for it. What are you believing for? There's nothing wrong with believing, but the, 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 the focus of belief, although it sounds semantical, is vastly different. Are we believing for God to do something for us, or are we believing in the goodness of God? Are we believing in the God who is a healer? Are we believing in a God who knows how to work things together for our good, not deciding what good looks like for God, but knowing he loves us enough that he'll work good out according to his view of good. See, that's the difference between believing for something and in someone. That's why hopefully we can come to what Paul did in his, his breakthrough in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, where he says, man, in him I live and move and have my being. Now, I'm not believing for something. I'm just going to realize I'm in him. I'm going to trust in him. Can you picture with me this field of barley? It's all white. It's this beautiful white harvest. Because at harvest time, barley blossoms white flowers, and it looks beautiful. That's why Jesus says the harvest is white. It's white for harvest. He's looking out at a barley field and saying, look at the harvest, how beautiful it is. And this picture of what they're standing in is this beautiful picture of God's provision. Provision that they didn't have to work for, by the way, because barley, you don't even have to plow the field to get a, to get a harvest. You can sow barley anywhere. It just grows anywhere. It's, it's, this, it's this picture of how God provides for us without us doing anything to get the provision. It's the picture of grace and mercy and forgiveness, his unconditional love. All those things come at us. Not, we didn't have to do one thing to get it. They're just already there. And it's the picture of this beautiful picture of how God provides for us. And this is where we are willing to stand. Matter of fact, this is where we want to stand. This is where modern Christianity is teaching us to value to stand. Where has God provided? Did you notice, though, that God did provide? Like, that's how good God is. God did provide. And there's nothing wrong with God's provision. We should be thankful for God's provision. Psalm 35, 27 says God delights in the prosperity of his children. He loves blessing his kids. That's awesome. Somebody should have just said amen. God loves blessing you. Like, that's awesome. That's how good our God is. We do not sow anything, and he blesses us anyway. But there's a trap here. The blessing of God is not the trap, but how we deal with the blessing of God is. Because if we are not aware, the enemy often uses the blessing of God as a trap to our souls. To trap our selfish nature, our human nature, the fallen side of us. Isn't that what happens in the very first temptation? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are standing in this unbelievable provision of God. They didn't do one thing. 
God spoke and everything was created and plopped them down in the middle of this incredible provision. And the enemy comes in and twists it and traps their selfish soul in it so that they see it incorrectly. For us, it might not be the garden. For us, it might be that new job that God blessed us with. And then the enemy comes in and warps how we prioritize it. So the blessing, come on, becomes the priority over the one who blessed you with it. And now, now we've got no more time. We don't have any time because of the blessing. We're all stressed out. We lost our peace because of the blessing. We, we have no time to invest in our, in, our, in our marriage or to invest in our kids. Why? Because of the blessing. We, we don't have any time to go to fours or shoulder to shoulder. Why? Because of the blessing. Do you see the trap? We've fallen into the trap. Did you see in this text, it was the enemy's intention to trap God's people inside the harvest, inside the gift. His intention was to trap them inside the gift. Do you know how easy it is for the enemy to do that? Because our soul already sides on that side. Our soul loves to be a receiver. Our soul loves to be, everyone's, nah, nah, yeah, huh? you selfish. It's all right, it's your fault. Your fa- our fallen nature is selfish. We love to receive. Yes, somebody say amen, I own it up. Yes, yes, Lord. If it wasn't true, Jesus would not have said in Acts 20, 35, it is better to give than to receive. Because if our natural self was to be a giver, Jesus wouldn't have had to speak into it. Mmm. Stepped on some toes, I'm sorry. But the truth is, when, that, when we fall into that trap, this trap shifts our focus off of the giver and onto what is given. And that what is given begins to direct our praise and our path. It's what is given. The ble- How do I get the blessing? How do I keep the blessing? How do I not? We, it directs our praise and, and our path because remember, whatever you focus on, you give power to. You've heard me say this a million times. Come on, when you're on a diet and you say, don't eat chocolate cake, I can't eat chocolate cake, I can't eat chocolate cake, what you going to eat? Chocolate cake. Because what you focus on, you give power to. Man, do you realize that your your soul can even be sneaky about giving? Like, I'm a giver. It's one of my, like, love languages. I love to give. It's just who I am. Uh, but, but, But sometimes, but sometimes what happens, see what happened is this. What happens when you want to give and people won't let you give the way you want to give? How about when they don't let you do it when you want to do it? How about when they don't react the way that you think they should react and appreciate what you're giving them? Right? Come on, somebody. Then you start feeling a certain way. Do you know why you're feeling a certain way? Because your soul wants to receive what it thinks it should receive from giving. Ah. Sneaky soul. It's like a little soul ninja. It's in there. So the question is, when our soul is like that, how do we react when what we're standing in or what we're believing for is challenged by the enemy and it looks like we could lose it in the battle? Like, how about if I I could lose my job if I change my priorities? I, I might lose that relationship if I instill some healthy boundaries. I, 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 may, I may be labeled a certain way if I stand on the word of God. 
I might lose that relationship. The temptation, my friends, in these moments when we are constantly driven by the giving rather than the giver is to retreat from the battle when there's a threat of losing the gift. Especially when we don't value really what's being given. After all, it's just barley. That's kind of the lowest thing, isn't it? I mean, what's the big deal? And in our mind, we start to say, is this worth it? Is it worth the fight? Is it worth my extended family not talking to me? Is it worth being labeled or canceled? Is it worth going through what I've got to go through for this battle? Well, my friends, when it's just barley, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But when we understand what is being attacked is not a barley field, what we under, when we understand what's being attacked is the king. When we understand what's being attacked is the kingdom. That is a whole different ball. That's a whole different ballgame right there. I, now, don't get me wrong. I don't agree with the way he did it, but I love the passion of Peter. Do you, and and, and I, I love it because in John 18, when Jesus is being arrested, he's in the garden the night before he's going to, to the cross. He's being arrested. Peter's like, grabs the sword and cuts off the ear of the dude. I'm not, I'm not saying to go out and cut off people's ears. But don't, I, he's like, get your hands off my Jesus. I love when the enemy came after Jesus, Peter's response was, get your hands off my Jesus. Get your hands off my Jesus. There's something that should spark in us when we realize when the enemy comes after our holiness, he's actually coming after our king. When he's actually coming after the, the passion of my heart, he's actually coming after my king. When he's actually trying to convince me I don't have to forgive that person, I'm justified in my, for, my offense, it's okay to be bitter, he's coming after my king. It's not just what it does to me, it's how it's affecting my king. And the deeper issue is when we allow that mentality to sit inside of us and grow us, it will keep our relationship with Jesus at a giver and restorer level, a giver and restorer level, where we can trust that he's going to give to us and that we can even trust when the enemy has devoured our harvest, our marriage, our health, our relationship, our integrity, that he'll restore it. Because that's how great our God is. Our God is a restorer. That's who he is. He restores things. I love it. It's, it how beautiful is Joel chapter 2, verse 25, where he says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. How good is God that he's a restorer? But did you notice sometimes there's years between the devouring and the restoring? And he does that because of his relentless love to you and I. But when we actually just have a relationship with God out of giver and restorer, it actually keeps us, come on, we never get to understanding Jesus as Lord and lover of my soul. It just keeps us at the giver-restorer because it's what I value being given, receiving. We never take that step towards being the giver back to him. How is he Lord and lover of my soul? This is the place where we understand his sovereignty. We learn to live in his authority, where we become more focused on loving him than being loved by him. This is the place of our decision. This is, what, this is where Eleazar steps in. This is where understanding that disciples value who they're standing with 
more than what they're standing in. I love that name Eleazar. We said last week, it actually means God is my helper. But obviously, Eleazar understood if God was going to be his helper, he needed to stay as close to him as possible. Did you realize, did you see in verse 13, it's the reason I had you underline it. It said Eleazar was with David. It did not say David was with him. It said he was with David. He was with the king. Where the king was, he was. See, our proximity to Jesus matters in the midst of our battles. Because there are moments we learn about him being warrior, not simply savior. Where we learn to stand in his authority and not simply count on his recovery. Because God will either help us during the battle, come on somebody, or he's going to have to help us after our defeat. But our proximity will determine that. Did you notice, by the way, where it happens? It happens in this place called Pastamim. Pastamim actually means limit of the blood. Limit of the blood. Hold on to that for a second. But I also want you to know this is the place where David defeated Goliath. This is the place where... David, the king, this picture of Jesus, had already conquered the enemy. So he didn't need to learn that he could defeat the enemy. He already knew he could defeat the enemy. It wasn't so the king could know he could defeat the enemy. It was so Eleazar knew that the king could defeat the enemy. It was so Eleazar knew that he could stand and win the battle. See, see, your king, your king has already won the battle. The king has already won the battle. The cross, it's not a, 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 the cross does not tell us that Jesus needs to be convinced that he can beat the devil in our life. He's already conquered over him, triumphed over him at the cross, made a public spectacle of him. When we come to the cross, it should remind us that we can win the battle because our king has already won the battle. The reality is, though, my friends, in whatever field we have stopped applying the blood, that's where the enemy will come. In that field of guilt and shame that we allow because of our past or because of how we made a mistake or we messed up, oh, that's where the enemy's coming. When we have stopped applying the blood to that field of selfishness and self-protection, that's where the enemy's coming. When, when we stop applying the blood to the field of disobedience and rebellion to his word, that's where the enemy will come. So we can't know simply Jesus as the restorer. We have to value him and love him as the king as well. There is, the truth is there's power in the blood, isn't there? There is power, power, wonder-working power. Come on. In the blood of the lamb. There's like three people know the old school song. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. But if we run every time that field is threatened, we will truly never know the power, the value of the power of the blood or the value of the one who bled for us. This is where we learn his value. Eleazar stood his ground. They all fled, but he occupied his holy ground. My friends, there are sometimes, there are some places, there are some battles that we get in that our soul believes we can't win. And so we are tempted to run. But I need to, you to hear me today. Your king has ordained you. You have been ordained, empowered, called, anointed, and appointed by your king 
to occupy that ground. Like, come on, man. We have, been, uh, we have been ordained to occupy, being the spiritual leaders of our homes, we need to occupy it. We need to occupy being our brother's keepers in our community. We need to occupy forgiving those who persecute us. We need to occupy the ground of holiness. We need to occupy moving in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to occupy being laborers of the harvest. We need to occupy being lovers of God. We need to occupy being salt unto the world. we got to occupy being a light into those caught in darkness. We've got to learn to occupy. Jesus says in Luke 19, he says, occupy until I come because I'm coming back. Come on, church. He's coming back. It's our job to occupy. He was telling a parable about a master that was going away, so he gave gifts to the people who were staying, and he said, do my business. Come on, build my business until I get back because I'm coming back, so occupy. Come on, church. We got to occupy. This is not about receiving. This is about occupying. Because the king matters. See, we have to know the blessing of the barley field. We have to know the blessing the king is trying to defend for us. Do you realize that uh, Deuteronomy 8 tells us that barley is one of the seven crops that signified the abundance that God had provided in the promised land for people? He said, man, when you see barley, you'll know I'm an abundant provider. The king is trying to remind you. He's trying to defend in our life the abundant life that he has given us. He's saying, man, I got abundance for you. Stand. Leviticus 23.10 says that because barley is the first crop harvested, that it is a first fruit offering that actually gives praise to God. See, the king is trying to defend our praise. Because some of us have lost our praise. Some of us only are praising God when the gift comes. We're not praising the giver. We're waiting for the gift. We've got to learn. Come on, the king is telling us to value the giver above the gift. Some of us have lost our praise, and the king is saying, come on, stand by me. I'll get your praise back. Do you realize the Bible tells us that when we actually steward the barley field well, the Bible says that the community's needs will be met? Because the Bible says that, 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 that we're supposed to leave the outer portion, the outer portion, the outer 10% for the community to come and be able to receive from it. Because you and I are blessed to be a blessing. That's what we occupy. But Ruth chapter 2 tells me that not only, come on, when you steward your field right, do the community get blessed, but sometimes you get a wife out of it. All the single people said Amen. Because Boaz did what God had told him to do, and he had been lonely, he had been without, he had no heir until he did what God told him to do in the barley field, stewarded it well, and one day he rode up and found Ruth and said, my, my, hallelujah. Come on. But he occupied before the gift came. Some of us single folk, they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm going to give God praise when I get the right man. No, no, no. You praise God. You steward your body now. You, st- you steward your relationship now. Then the right man will come. Do you realize that Ruth was not only a wife for him, but she was in the line of the Messiah because what God is truly trying to defend in you by causing you to stand with him is the inheritance that he has for you that goes beyond you. 
Because Hebrews chapter 7 verse 9 tells me that Levi could receive a tithe even though he never paid a tithe because he was inside of his great-grandfather Abraham when Abraham prayed it, paid it. That means there is things that we can do today that release blessing, that release inheritance to our children's children's children. There's something that God is trying to get us to stand in, not just to bless you, but will bless the inheritance beyond you. That's why this field's important. But there's a difference, my friends, between being present in the field and occupying your ground. Eleazar came to the field to meet the enemy. He knew that there would be resistance. He knew there would be pushback. The truth is, convenience is not part of Christianity. But conflict is. I don't mean the conflict between people. I'm not talking about the conflict you got on arguing on social media. I'm talking about the conflict between God's kingdom and your reality. The conflict that comes between God's word, God's will, and God's way in my daily choices. Because that conflict will always, always has faces attached to it. It always will invoke some sort of fear. It will always produce friends on one side and foes on the other. But ultimately, it will always reveal what we value the most. Those decisions. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3. Here's a man who had unbridled success before he came to Jesus. Like in the world, Paul was a rock star. Like, we know him because he wrote the Bible. We like, woo, he wrote the Bible. But before, he had bigger fame before than after. And he says this, I consider everything before meeting Jesus as trash and rubbish to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Not of being saved, not of being healed, not of being filled with the Spirit, of knowing Jesus Christ. He understood the value was found by the one who was with him in the field. Let me just say this. I don't know when all these labor pains are going to increase. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, whether it's in my lifetime or your children's lifetime or in our grandchildren's lifetime. I don't know. But I, I know this one thing. There will be a time when no one else is in the field. There will be a time, maybe, when there's no churches for you to actually stand with. So that's why this connection with Jesus, this love for Jesus, this value of who he is, has to actually be developed now. Because it'll be too late then. It's the love of him that causes us to stand it's not what I could lose. It's how it breaks his heart. See, the truth is, my friends, when we flee, it's not that God doesn't still provide for us, because he does. This story ends in 2 Samuel 23, 10, and the Bible says all the people who fled came back and plundered. They got what they wanted. They got, they got provision anyway, so what does it really matter whether I run or not? Because I'm still going to get what I want. If what you want is plunder, you can run. But if what you want is the king, you've got to stand. It's not that God doesn't still provide for us, but simply we won't grow from the battle if we run. 
We won't know the next time that the enemy comes that we've already faced down this enemy before. We've already had victory over it, so there's nothing left to fear. And because we don't know that, and that's where God needs us to be, wants us to be, that's where victory is for you and me. That's where peace is found in our daily lives when we know there's nothing to fear because the battle is already won. The battle's already the Lord's. We've already overcome this in our past. He continues to bring us back to the battle until we learn it. That's why the very next verse in 2 Samuel 23 says this, And the Philistines came again, but this time to a field of lentils. Lentils are more valuable than barley. They're protein. They had a higher value. So God said, fine, if you're not going to fight for lentils, how about I attack this? How about I let the enemy attack this? Maybe this will cause us to stand. I think maybe this field should have brought back to remembrance something in that army on that day. A different moment of lentils. Maybe God was hoping that when they stood in this field of lentils, they would remember the story of Esau and Jacob in Genesis 25. When Esau, the older brother who had the inheritance, came home after hunting, he hadn't caught anything, and so he was hungry. So he goes to Jacob, who was making this stew of lentils, and he says, uh, give me the stew. And he says, give me your inheritance. And he says, what good is my inheritance if I'm dead? Give me the stew. And he traded his inheritance for some lentils. Can't you hear the voice of the Spirit crying out to the army in this field of lentils? Don't give up your inheritance. Don't give up your inheritance. Don't give up to your inheritance. Man, that's why the Spirit brings back to remembrance things that the Word of God has told us. Because when we are standing in the battle, we should be remembering the goodness of God in the land of the living. We should be remembering to not trade in our inheritance for our lentil stew. I love that verse 10, we're getting home, we're coming home, we're coming home, you all right? We're coming home. Level 10, level 10, level, we're at level 10, level 10. <laughs> verse 10, I love what verse 10 says. It says, now these were the heads of the mighty men of David, listen to this, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. Strengthened themselves with him, not without him, not to get him. Not to show themselves worthy of him. They strengthen themselves with him. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning to be like the king. Knowing his presence so well that we're strengthened by him. The Lord is my strength. He is my stronghold. He is my strong tower. I'm strengthened with him. I am transformed to be like him. And I'm ready to stand with him wherever he stands. See, on the battlefield is where we learn more about him as Lord, but it's also where we learn more about what we love more than him. I hate this, but it's true. I hate the fact that on the battlefield is where I learn the things that I love more than him. Because when I look back at the times in my life and see when I vacated the field, when I left my post, when I didn't occupy what I was ordained to occupy, I'm not talking about leaving Jesus, quitting church. I'm talking about where holiness was tainted by selfishness. 
when being right was more important than doing right. When the voice of my insecurity had greater influence on me than the voice of the Holy Spirit. Where keeping peace, keeping the peace with people was more important than the peace of God inside of my life. But the truth is, they all reveal what I love more than him. Because those things made me leave the field. I didn't leave the field. I left his side. Until we get that point, it's still going to be about the field. It's not about the field. Those things made, made me leave my king's side. As hard as it is for me to look at those things, when my deepest desire is to love them with everything I've got, I need to look at those things. I need to take note of what made me leave the field in those moments. Because they're the things that get in the way of me really loving him with everything I've got and him actually feeling loved by me. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be. So how do we show him that we love him? We value what he values. We value who he is more than what he gives. We stand with him in those fields, and we learn to treasure him. Even when we don't understand the value, how valuable the barley field is, we understand how valuable the one in the barley field is. And then our heart will follow. I was talking to a friend this week about this concept, and I was sharing how I screwed this up early on in our lives. With Danielle because Danielle's love language is acts of service right and I didn't I, I, I didn't know what that was can someone give me a way I didn't know what that was I didn't because my love language is physical touch like I understood like when I hugged her kissed her snuggled up on her like she should feel loved that's the right way to love people others oh, like nobody in here physical touch yeah, yeah people pointing at people right here. <laughs> Acts of service. But I didn't know what that, was, what, what that was. I didn't do it right all the time because it wasn't modeled for me. I, I didn't quite understand what that was. But, but, I, but one day I said, man, I, I got I to gotta change this. She matters to me. I need her to know that. I didn't change these things to keep my marriage together. I started to do acts of service because I wanted her to know and recognize that the things that do not come naturally to me that matter to her matter to me. And so, man, I started to, like, you know, make the bed here and there. I, I started to uh, pick up my clothes. Come on, somebody. Put them in the hamper. I started to do laundry occasionally. I started to fold the laundry and take the laundry basket up the stairs. Hallelujah. Because back in the day, this is the truth, back in the day, back in the Back in the day, she would do the laundry, fold it, put it in a basket by the stairs, and I'd walk by it. Then she put the laundry basket on the stairs, and I'd step over it. I told you I was a mess. I started to do laundry. I started to cook. And some people would be like, yeah, but you love cooking. Uh-huh. But I didn't know I loved cooking until I did something to bless my bride, and a passion I didn't know inside of me was unlocked out of me. See, sometimes you might not even know the passion God has placed down inside of you until you start to love him in a way that is not natural to you. The reality is Eleazar hadn't forgotten what he was before he met the king. He was poor, he was desolate, he was disenchanted. But he had been poor before. 
He had gone without food before, so he could do it again. If he lost the field, so what? He knew what hunger was. So it wasn't what was in the field that moved him. It was who was in the field that moved him. This king, this king, the one who had believed in him, the one who had given him a home, the one who made him what what he was, the one who raised him up, the one who transformed his being, this king that gave him purpose, who made him special, who loved him when no one else did, this king who gave him a place, who made him his own, who actually called him in, who trained him up, who raised him to be special, this king, this king was worth standing in the battle for. This king, when the enemy said, I'll be taking them to hell, Jesus said, over my dead body. When sin said, I'm going to keep them in bondage, Jesus said, over my dead body. Come on, when sickness said, I'm going to consume them body, soul, and spirit, Jesus said, over my dead body. When the grave said, I'm going to swallow them up, Jesus said, over my dead body. When addiction said, I will never let them go free, Jesus said, over my dead body. When the devil said, they will always be mine, Jesus said, over my dead body. Come on, church, this king is worse saying over my dead body I ain't going anywhere if for no other reason than that that king is worth him hearing me say my king I don't understand the field I don't know how we're going to win but I know you're a mighty warrior dressed for battle and I ain't going anywhere that and our heart will follow And our heart will follow. This, my friends, is how we move from giver and restorer to Lord and lover of my soul. This is how we move. And it becomes much more about how we can make him feel loved by us than us simply always receiving the gifts of love from him. I got to occupy Over my dead body, I, I ain't, I'm not going down that road, Jesus. I know what they're going to say. I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going to think. I know how I'm going to feel. But over my dead body, am I going anywhere? I ain't leaving the field. I'm going to occupy my place. And I'm going to stand by you. Because I know where my treasure is, where my time and my attention and my energy and my resource and my focus, where that is, my heart will follow. And I may not love you as much as I want to, but I want to love you more than I do. And so I'm going to stand here and over my dead body, am I going anywhere? All of us today stand in the valley of decision. For you, it may not be heaven or hell. For you, it may be believer or disciple. One who stands or one who runs. One who is obsessed with receiving love. Or one who is purposed in making the lover of my soul feel loved. But we all stand in the valley of decision. 
It's not about being better or a good Christian. It's not even really about your testimony. Making sure everything stays good. It's all about Him. 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 How much of Him consumes my time, my focus, my attention? Because what I focus on, I give power to. Can we pray? We all are standing in the valley of decision. Your decision today may be, first and foremost, to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. The Bible says that it's not any work that we have done that can earn this. This is seeds that he's already sown in unplowed ground. It's not by works. It's by grace. It's a gift. And all we need to do is receive it today. If I confess Jesus with my mouth, the Bible says, and believe in my heart that he died for me and rose again, today, today I'll be saved. So we're going to pray that in a moment. That's not really about whether you go to church or not. It's really about who Jesus is in your life. But maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we've known Jesus as Savior for a really long time. But we've kept him at that level of giver and restorer, giver and restorer, giver and restorer. But today, the Holy Spirit is wooing us to make him Lord and lover of your soul. That actually takes a decision too. Just like our decision to make Jesus Savior, we actually have to choose to make Jesus Lord and lover of my soul. And so we're all going to pray. But wherever you are in that journey... I invite you to pray from the bottom of your heart and let God do what only he can do. You're not praying to Pastor Kyle. You're not praying uh, to Connect Church. You are praying to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the same Jesus that rose from the dead is the same Jesus that will come and move inside of you and make his home in you. Open up all the doors that need to be opened and knock down all the walls that still remain. All we have to do is call on his name. So we're going to pray together. Can we pray right now? Can we just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I'm calling out to you. I need you, Jesus. I need a move of your grace, of your goodness, of your kindness, of your mercy in my life today. I am choosing today to make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Today I choose to not just see you as a giver and restorer, but I choose to make you the Lord and the lover of my soul. I choose today to stand with you in whatever field you stand in. I will not run. I will not run. My heart is connected to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Come on, give God some glory. Hallelujah. I want to pray real quickly. I just feel like there's some, um, there's some, um, 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 all I can see, all I can see in my mind is, uh, is people trying to run, trying to run, but their leg is still in, uh, in chain links to something I can't see in the back. And they're pulling against the chain and they're pulling against the chain. My, my, my friend, I need you to hear me say this and we're going to pray this right now. But my God, Jesus is the breaker of chains. That, that, that chain, whatever it is for you, it's a lie. It's an illusion. It does that. He, listen, the devil uh, roam, roams around like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. There is only one lion. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the king. Chain. I speak to you in the name of Jesus. You are shattered. That chain of guilt and shame to the past, that secret thing that no one knows, that you are afraid that if it comes into the light would shatter who you are. In the name of Jesus, we bring it to the light because the light sets us free in Jesus' name. Darkness, you have no power. Devil, you are a liar. Oh, that sickness, that chain of sickness, we shatter you in Jesus' name. Doubt, we shatter it. That generational curse that says, I guess this is my lot because it happened to my dad and my dad's dad and my dad's dad's dad. It's just who we are. It's in our genes. In the name of Jesus, we shatter that. You've got no power. My God is the breaker of chains. He doesn't need to be convinced that he can defeat the enemy. He already did it. It's not him who needs to stand in the victory. It's us. I choose to stand by his side today. Jesus, I pray for whoever is in this room or online today that is trying to run and feeling pulled back by something in their past, something hidden, some illusion, some lie. We shatter it in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak the health and wholeness that you purchased on the cross. And when you said, by your stripes, they are healed, that means by your stripes, we are healed. In the name of Jesus. Church, can we say amen? In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Woo! Can you feel it? It's not about a feeling, but the presence of God stirs something. I pray that there's a stirring in you. When you move out of this room, there's a stirring. Stirring. Because I promise you, the moment you leave this room, the moment that we step out of those doors, oh, the enemy's coming. And he's coming in force. And there's going to be all sorts of people around you who run. And you're going to get on social media. And you're going to see this pastor that failed. And this church that did this. And this Christian group that's crazy over here. And you're going to be like, man, I'm all alone. You are not alone. There is one who stands in the field who has never lost a battle. Who has never lost a battle. You are not alone. 
you stand, you stand, you stand, you stand. Till you take your last breath, you stand. Let them come. Stand. Pastor John's already up here. He's going to take the offering before we go. I'm going to get off the stage because I can keep preaching. That's a problem. Pastor John, can you help us worship God because we're great receivers of his gift. But this is part of stewarding the field, isn't it? This is part of us saying, man, i got to steward what he gave me. Come on, help us out. As Pastor Kyle was sharing this morning, you know, a lot of times we get up here and we have something planned to share. And then the message is going and it's like, oh, that's absolutely not what I'm supposed to talk about this morning. And he was talking, he said something as a passing comment that he is a giver by nature. And as someone that has benefited from that in my life, I can absolutely vouch for he is a giver by nature. His birthday, though, is December 15th. And can I tell you that I dread December 15th every year? Because he is the hardest person to give gifts to on the planet. Because if, if it's something that he really wants, he gets it. He's like, no, no, don't buy that. Give us a list of things that you want because you're the hardest person to buy things for. So you end up having to figure out what he wants that he doesn't know that he wants yet <laughs> and find those things and give it to him. He's also my brother-in-law. Um, but you know what I don't do? My birthday is January 9th. I don't sit there and go, oh, I need to get him a really good gift because my birthday is a couple weeks later and I want to make sure that I get a really good gift in return. We might have done that when we were four and then someone told us that's not acceptable. That's not an okay behavior. We give because we love. And I have a problem with giving in church culture in America. Because we say, oh, we give, and then God blesses us. So we give for God to bless us. That's wrong. <laughs> it's inappropriate. It's trying to bribe God. I don't give to get. I give because I love. And we do it in other areas in our lives, and we're willing to talk about it in other areas of our lives, where, like, I give because I give, not because I want to get. But when I do it with God, I give to get. And this is, I'm not saying this, like, lightly, okay? But this is, I've walked this out. I've been walking this out. I will continue to walk this out. Because I think we've had it so drilled into us. If you've spent more than six months in American Christianity, that we give and then God blesses us. We give and then God blesses us. And he does. Because he's good. And because he loves us but not because we are giving to him. I give because I love him. I give because I'm worshiping him. I give because I'm honoring him. I'm giving because I'm lifting up his name. I'm giving because he already gave all the things to me anyway. It's his anyway. But I'm giving because I want to take an opportunity, and I know he's told me, he's written in his word that this is one of his love languages. So I'm giving to him because he's already told me this is one of the ways to love me. So, like I said, I know that that was like a little bit strong. <laughs> but just take some time with that. Take some time with the entirety of the message today. And pray through that a little bit. The ways to give are going to be up on the screens. I'm sorry, Manny, I was supposed to say that all at the beginning. And 
got all sorts of distracted. We have the kiosks right here at the door. There's offering envelopes all throughout. Uh, there's the QR code that you, can, that you can hold up your phone camera and scan it and give online. Believe it or not, it's the most, it's the easiest way to give. Um, but can I just pray over us? God, we love you. Help us in the places that we haven't yet. Learn what it means to love you. That our lives would honor you with each and every piece and each and every part. That this would be for you, for your glory, your honor, and your faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you can stand. You can stand. And we're going we're gonna to say goodbye. I just want to, um, if we were supposed to sing, we don't need to sing. Um, but there's one thing, um, Kyle said it so passionately today that I felt like um, it was something for me to just circle back to one last time. He talked about, like, standing firm and not running. And... I just want to tell you that literally every week our 100% focus, intention, purpose continually in no matter what we plan to teach, what we plan to convey, what we it is always so that in the day and then the days to come is that you will not be per one that runs. I cannot tell you how much that is a part of our daily life talking about it. In the days to come, that you will not be found running, but that no matter what, you will be found standing. And that when you stand, you will see one another on either side. I have had such grave flashes come before me of being in the, the last days and seeing people that I love running away. People that I thought would be standing so firm, people that I thought had well decided long ago that they would be found planted and they're just running by me. And I truly believe, and I think that Kay would totally back me up on this, is that that passion and that reality and that truth, it shapes every decision that we make in this house. It shapes everything we decide to share and not share, focus on, not focus on. It goes into every one of those decisions because that's how seriously we believe our faith will be tested. So understand that when we have these Sunday mornings, we're so aware that you drive here you come here, you carve out your time, you plant yourself here. And because of that, we take that so seriously that the word that is responded to, those actions, it's that weighted. There's a million things that we could be talking about. I'm telling you, there's the topics are just never ending. The fact that God would continue to have us hover around the things that will help you in the days to come stand when so many will fall or run. 
it tells you how seriously God has turned our attention toward this. So I pray, church, that this is not your only time that you sit with the word. Because this, this will never be enough. This will never be enough. This is something to cause you to go, to keep being drawn. But it can't be your only source. But remember that this source is about a very real life and a very real future and a very real God and a very real enemy. And it's okay to have that awareness through our day because it tells us what does God think that in all of the ages he put us in this one. He put us in this one. There has got to be a reason why you occupy this moment. Father, I thank you, God, for every person, every single person that heard the word of the Lord today. I pray, God, that it would go into parts, in crevices, in doors that have been shut, in rooms that have been closed. And God, I pray that your light would just consume. That it would consume cobwebs and dust and it would open boxes that have been sealed and tucked under old bed frames. And God, it would just, the light would illuminate what the enemy tries to keep in the dark. And that the warmth of your light in those places that have drawn cold, the warmth would draw them to your side, God. And not just to be in close proximity with you, but so that their roots grow deep. God, that their roots grow deep. That their roots grow deep, God. I pray, Father, that you would help Kyle and I to bring a word every single moment that it is in our hands to bring that causes the possibility of roots going deeper, God. I pray, Lord, that we would covet the soil that you surround us with, that you would teach us how to nurture that soil, but that we would understand that the soil that we stand on, it is holy. It is holy, and roots that go into that ground are called holy, and that our feet will go into places, God, that will not stand unless we are called holy by you because you are holy and we have your holy covering following and bringing us into places of darkness. God, I pray that our ear as this church would always be attuned to you and it would never turn its ear away when you say that we have to talk about something hard. God, no matter what it is, I pray, Father, that you would give this house strength that we would be able to yield as a people, not just as leadership, but as people, God, that when you bring a word that we need to hear, that we don't want to hear or we don't want to bring, God, I pray that we would be yielding all the other days, Father, so when you bring a word to us corporately, that we would be able to absorb it and it would go down into our roots and our roots would expand in that holy ground and we would understand that we are in a holy field and the battle is the Lord's. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you, church.